What's up, everybody? Just want to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Jungle Television. Jungle Television is creating gourmet art and streetwear drawn and screen printed by hand here in Portland, Oregon. And uh, this dude, Alex, is making some of my favorite art. And uh, I have a bunch of Jungle Television t-shirts. They are heavy in my rotation and just always blown away by the things that he is making the mushroom hunter jackets are some of my favorites those are really dope but yeah if you need jackets shirts hats just prints very cool prints um hit this dude up the jungle television link will be in the episode notes along with the instagram tag and if you use the code dcp at checkout you'll get 20 percent off of your next order. So take advantage of that. Check out the uh, the Jungle Television Instagram, Cruise Alex's designs. Um, they're very, very dope. And next level, appreciate his support and sponsorship of this thing. Let's start the episode. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thank you for tuning in. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars. You say a few nice words and uh, that will help propel the podcast into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels. Thank you to all the folks that have already taken the time to do that i appreciate the hell out of you and i appreciate you if you're just tuning in for your first time here uh stoked to share this episode 231 sean wolston hulm is uh on the on the podcast and i'm stoked to stoked to share this chat that i had with sean this is a special one for me and this dude is just such an unreal musician and uh he's been leaning in to writing some tunes of his own the last few years and i've really dug his solo project that he put out back in 2017 and then he recently put out this princess princess project with johnny radford and um that record has been heavy in my rotation but i've been following this dude playing music for 17 years since i was in high school i've been uh seeing seeing this dude play music with a bunch of different bands in the early 2000s sean played with lifehouse for a bit with his brother rick who is the drummer in lifehouse and he also played with the calling and i saw him play a lot with a band called abandoned pools who I really dig and 
also with a band called radford got to see him play a show with them so just got to see this dude play a lot of music in the early to mid 2000s in some of my favorite clubs in la and often some of those were small clubs like the roxy and um you can just be really close to the stage and he's just uh in Sean's words, I would say that he's uh, he's a real motherfucker on the guitar and was just always so fun to go and watch and uh, just see what he was doing with the different pedals and the different techniques and playing styles that, that he would bring. Just often walked away from those shows very uh, blown away by by his playing in these, these different bands that we would go to see and... Yeah, this was just such a cool opportunity to all these years later after, you know, saying what's up after shows and being being the weird people that come up to you after every show to say how how fucking cool you are, how good your show was. Um, It was just really awesome to actually get to sit down and and have a real conversation with this dude because I really knew nothing about him except for his roles in these these bands so it was just awesome to get to talk to him about how he got interested in music and and I think he it was it was cool hearing about his experience coming up and um because it's it really is probably maybe an experience that most musicians moving forward will not experience. It doesn't seem like there's necessarily these big cattle calls for these to audition for these, these bands, at least not at this point. And, uh, Sean just kind of came up at a, in a unique time. And maybe the maybe kind of the tail end of record labels having a bunch of money to just throw at bands that, you know, maybe we're just showing some promise and didn't necessarily have a huge following yet. So it was cool to get to hear Sean's experience of coming up at that time and and him really learning his chops on the road, getting his education through those, those first tours, having the opportunity to play live shows a lot. So it was just really fucking cool, man, to have the opportunity to connect with this dude after all of those years and to find the music that he's been creating over the last few years. And this year with princess princess was, uh, just really dope especially finding some some connection to the music and and digging it and just seeing that that he's still still out here doing the thing and can't say thank you to Sean enough for his uh, his time for doing this thing with me we we chatted for a while which was awesome I was stoked that we had so much time to to really dig into things and and talk through some of the uh, the band experiences as well as putting together his his first solo efforts and this princess princess record with johnny radford and 
we covered a lot, man. We we covered quite a bit, and I encourage you to go check out these recent records that Sean has put out. So I'll put the links in the episode notes for them. There is the solo record, Shameful Display, which will feature a song from later in the episode, and um, the Princess Princess record, The Engines I Rate, is also available on the streaming services. So check that out. We're going to feature a tune with that to, to kick things off. And uh, we're also going to play a brand new jam that is not out later in the episode. So um, it's very cool that Sean was down to to share a new tune, an unreleased one with, uh, with me for this episode. And we're going to dig into things here. We're going to get into episode 231 once again all the links will be in the episode notes and i appreciate you checking this thing out i feel super fortunate to still be doing this thing and uh for the uh the conversations it has led me to has been a very uh a very cool experience definitely has enriched my uh experience on this strange earth and i appreciate you checking it out and gotta give a shout out to my friend ryan schick who i mentioned in this uh this conversation with sean a couple times during the chat was often the dude with me seeing sean playing all these different bands so i know this will be a special one for him to check out as well and uh, appreciate the fuck out of you, Ryan, for your continued support of, of the podcast and everything else, man. So I hope everybody is hanging tough out there. Hope you're doing well. And we're going to get in to episode 231. Sean Woolston Hume is on the show and uh, we're going to kick it off with a track from the Princess Princess record. This is one of my favorites on on that record. It's called Give It Back. Let's do the damn thing.
Kind of just jump into this thing, Sean, if you're ready to awesome. do so. I'm ready. Let's do this. Cool, dude. Um, I am super stoked to uh, to chat with you. I've uh, um, been following what you've been doing musically for a while, I guess, or or at least some of the bands that you were playing in in the early 2000s. Sure, and a lifetime ago. Yeah, dude. It's it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of wild. Um, I just kind of happened to uh, kind of search what you were doing recently. Like a friend of mine, Ryan, who uh, who I used to go to like a lot of abandoned pool shows with, and he was huge. He's like the person that introduced me into Lifehouse early on. And, oh, that's awesome! Uh, and he had told me that you'd put out a solo record, you know, not that long ago. So I looked at that, and then just kind of found you on social media and saw the princess princess stuff and was just kind of stoked to dive into all this music with with you singing on it because for so long i've just kind of seen you as as a player 
on stage sure. with different bands and you know yeah. maybe occasionally singing singing a backup vocal here and there but um yeah i was i was pleasantly surprised to dig into some of your songwriting recently so thank you well yeah thanks for for having me on and yeah the singing and uh doing my own bands is a is a fairly recent thing i'm still figuring it out well i'd love to just kind of i guess you know take it from the beginning and kind of piece together how we get here i will tell you um and i would expect you to have absolutely no memories of this because i was my friend ryan and i were probably just some of those weird people that would come up to you after shows and be like whoa dude that was so cool um but the first time i had an encounter with you is uh my buddy Ryan and I found out last minute that Abandoned Pools was playing at Chain Reaction in Anaheim. And oh, shit. you were there yeah, just wow. watching with Surge. Oh, really? Yeah, you weren't even in the band yet. Like but y- so I went to see Oh, you know, I think my friend I think my friend Billy might have been playing yeah, bass with them. That's at when that Billy time. was playing bass with them. And like you and Surge from Lifehouse were just like hanging out at this show and Ryan Ryan was a huge fan of Lifehouse and had seen the band like with and without you and was just like dude that's fucking Sean and Serge from Lifehouse and <laughs> I don't know we just said what's up and you guys were super nice but then um, yeah and then I guess not too long after that you started playing with Tommy in Abandoned Pools yep yeah that's that's really funny I had forgotten that that I think I had completely forgotten that Billy played for them at all. And that's uh, Billy Moeller, who you know, who um, who also that the two new songs I sent you were both produced by, by Billy. Um, oh, nice. Uh, but yeah, I had forgotten Billy played with, with Abandoned Pools at all, but he might have been, I think he was the connection that eventually got me to go... Um, meet up with them and play in the first place and, and join the band. Yeah. So I think that was when Tommy was still playing guitar. Right. In the band. Right. And they had a bass so, player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but take me back to where'd you grow up, man? And how did you get kind of exposed to music and infected with the bug? Yes. The bug, the virus. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I was, I was infected at a really young age. So I was, I, I'll, I'll just take it all the way back. I was born in Eastern Oregon, in Burns, Oregon. I've never been back since I was a baby. Um, but I mostly grew up in Arizona. And um, yeah, I think that the bug was 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 mostly my dad and just music being around constantly from the time I was a kid. Um, my dad was in like cover bands when we lived up here in Washington, just outside Walla Walla. Um, like he was in a Beatles cover band. I remember going to like some rehearsals. I have a really vague memory of, of a guy in one of his bands being like, what song do you want to hear? And I was like, I want to hear summer of 69. And I'm pretty sure I was like, I don't know, five or six, you know, but I still, that's, there are very, very small pockets of memory that are still vivid from that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it was my dad. You know, he was like Elton John, Phil Collins, The Police. I grew up listening to pop music, you know. I have friends who grew up listening to jazz, and that's something I, I, I got into later, and I'm, I'm 
jealous of people who have that kind of in their DNA from childhood. But for me, I, I grew up listening to pop music. Did you pick up an instrument pretty young then too? So we like we were in piano lessons fairly early. That didn't really take. I know I got a guitar when I was like probably eight. I got my first guitar, but it, it but it didn't grab hold right away. Um, it wasn't until I was probably twelve or thirteen, like freshman year of high school or something, where it it took hold and I and I got and I got hooked. Um, but those, those early years of playing, I was, I was taking private lessons and I was playing a lot, but I wasn't, I wasn't in like high school bands or anything. I wasn't that kid. My brother was in like punk bands and ska bands and rock bands. And he was playing in like, he was like 16 and playing in cover bands with a band of all like 50 year old men, you know, who kind of weekend warriors and, uh, um, but at that point I was, I was super into baseball. I just wanted to be a baseball player. <laughs> like I was completely ignorant of the fact that I was five ten and 120 pounds and no chance in hell, you know? Um, but kind of later in high school, junior and senior year, uh, just playing guitar really took over in terms of what I wanted to be doing all the time. Yeah. So, so even seeing, uh, Rick playing in bands early on, you were still just like, nah, I don't really care about that so much. You know, I, I think I, I cared and I always loved music and, um, and I, I sang more when I was, when I was a little kid, like I remember singing, uh, like sixth grade talent show sang in the still of the night. Uh, my dad accompanied us on on piano and my friend Matt Ford and Bernie Young. We all sang like three part harmony in the still of the night. And uh, but but I didn't have a band. I loved going to see my brother play. Um, but but yeah, it just wasn't something I, I thought I was going to be doing doing for real. Did you kind of know that Rick was definitely like, this is what Rick is doing with his life. There was never anything else for him like from 10 years old on or something like it. That was it. That was all there was. Um, And, uh, and yeah, I was playing guitar and I was taking guitar lessons and I was super into, you know, uh, all the, the standard childhood guitar heroes um, but it didn't take hold. Like I didn't actually start playing out with bands until I was doing it professionally. Did you, is there anything you recognize significant at all about like when it did start to take over for you and what kind of clicked in for you as far as just immersing yourself in your instrument? Yeah. You know, I, when I was in high school, the, there were the phases of of um of different guitar heroes you know Stevie Ray Vaughan and Eric Clapton and uh but the the ones that really stick out for me so in high school I was listening to to pop music and country music almost exclusively like that's just what I grew up with and uh and but Brian Setzer was a huge influence for me early on for some reason like I don't know why I was 
a high school kid in Gilbert, Arizona, and I was super into the Stray Cats for some reason. Like, how fucking, like, how much weirder does that get? Like, you, you like, actually paid attention to the, like, more than the one single that broke, yeah. like, the top 40 chart. Yeah. You just went, like, deep on it. Went deep. I went deep. I got a job one summer and worked for exactly as long as I needed to work to get a Gretsch, an orange Gretsch 6120. Um, and I got it. I put the the Gibson Tunematic bridge on it, like Brian Setzer did. Um, yeah, I just loved it, and I've always loved guitar, guitar sounds, pop and rock guitar sounds, and country guitar sounds. The country guys are the ones that have stuck as being like. So the early ones for me, like Vince Gill, when I was a teenager was life-changing like i can remember he he was the first time i discovered that the major and minor pentatonic scales were the same thing just a minor third apart like it was learning a vince gill solo and uh like i still listen to him he's still a huge guitar hero of mine you know there are a few childhood things that 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 carried over and took hold um but yeah i'd say like junior junior to senior year of high school was when it when it took over i feel like some of the even some of those uh those country kind of americana vibes definitely show themselves in shameful display sure your your first solo record yes and that's that's kind of a, a complaint i used to get a lot like living in la and working you know not not a complaint but it was always something i would have to self edit out of my playing f- for certain things. You know, I, I'd, I'd go and I'd be doing a, a recording session or playing or a rehearsal with somebody and there would be a- an inflection in my playing that is sort of country or Americana inspired and it would, it's like, was never welcome. <laughs> it was never, <laughs> it always came out and then I always had to like dial it back and be like, oh shit, that's right, I can't do that. Um, but, but it is a big part of my playing and my influence for sure. And yeah, I guess just with some of the bands you were playing didn't necessarily make sense for their sound to have any of that twang and just like the negative connotation when you say country music to some people, like it doesn't, uh, maybe their their lens for country music it can be a little narrow or maybe they they only know the the pop country music sure i feel like that's a the sort of country americana shades of guitar playing is is very appropriate now it seems yeah as in the in the kind of like indie rock americana world all of that seems to be gelling together a little bit and that that's a a texture I think people appreciate a lot more, but in the late nineties and early two thousands, <laughs> that shit was not okay. <laughs> not cool, man. Not cool. You grew up listening to Brian Setzer, man. You need to knock that shit <laughs> off. So I had to start listening to Radiohead and that's where I needed to start going. Then your, your mind exploded a little bit. Then my mind exploded a little bit. Exactly. So what, what happens, uh, like after after high school, as far as music, are you starting to maybe think that there's some sort of path for you 
in music or are you still kind of just more casually playing and, and writing on your own kind of thing? No, I decided to go for it much in the same way that my brother did. Well, I mean, in exactly the same way that he did and kind of led by him in that um, he, after high school, he moved to Santa Barbara for a while. Then he came back home and he, he enrolled in, in a music school in L.A., at that time, it was called the the LA Music Academy in Pasadena, and uh, he had started, and he was sort of halfway through when I graduated from high school, and just kind of seeing the experiences he was having there and what he was getting from it, I just decided I was going to do that too. So I moved out to Pasadena. Him and I got an apartment together. Um, with we had, we we had kind of different roommates cycle in and out um, in a little two bedroom apartment. Like we, there was always a guy living in the living room, um, and so we 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 both went to music school at this this LA Music Academy, um, which was yeah that was my like okay this is what I'm. This is what I'm going to do. I still didn't know that it was possible to make a living as a musician. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what the reality past school looked like, but I knew that I was interested in it. I knew that I wanted to learn more about, about playing guitar in a, in a more sophisticated sense and way. And, and I liked you know, what my brother was getting from school. Were you and Rick, like at this time, would you guys jam a lot together? We, you know, we wouldn't really jam that much together. We didn't have a place and we were in, we were in kind of different points with our playing. Um, I would always go and watch when he was playing in, in, in an ensemble and he would, I remember he would come and watch when I was, because I don't think he was very sure about me being like a a guitar player at that point, because it wasn't the center of my universe like it was for him from a really early age. So I think he was a little dubious of like, like, dude, what the fuck? You like, you can't just, you can't just do this. Um, but, but, you know, and I don't want to discount what I had been doing in high school, like, how valuable it was to just sit and play along to records it is an invaluable thing. It's, and it's always going to be useful and, and productive. Um, I don't think it was quite, you know, what it, what it could have been had, had I been playing in bands, but it's the next best thing, you know? And uh, so by the time I got to school, I, I felt like I could, I could play in time, I could play musically, and I just wanted to know more about it. For sure. Yeah, I mean, the, all that stuff playing along to records has got to still inform your your knowledge of the instrument and your songwriting of and course, just learning yeah. different chord progressions and, you know, just putting together the pieces of how songwriting works. For sure. And that's when things started to click for me was in school and uh, learning about harmony. And there were a lot of ideas that that some private teachers I had in high school tried to get me um, 
to understand, but I, but I just don't think I was ready yet. But for some reason, when I was in school and it was, that was what my entire day was dedicated to, was learning about and practicing music, it clicked and it clicked really quickly. And I, and I, I can remember just starting to kind of, um, um, generate like these systems in my head of how I thought about harmony and how I thought about music. And I also started to see that I, I think I had an aptitude for like, I think I had decent ears at that point, even though I didn't know what I was hearing yet. I think I, I, I was able to decipher and know what was going on with things that I was hearing. Is this also like when your eyes kind of start, eyes and ears start getting open to, to jazz music For around sure. this time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I can remember in school, you know, the first time in an ensemble, you know, having to play like a Pat Metheny tune or having to play a Bill Frizzell tune. The first Bill Frizzell tune was Strange Meeting. I know we, we played that song in school. And like, so the first time hearing, hearing those guys and having it not be something I grew up with, but also knowing that jazz guitar could be something other than what I knew it to be, this caricature of itself of like playing a solo jazz guitar set at a Holiday Inn kind of deal, <laughs> you know? Um which didn't really look very attractive to me. But like once I started seeing it as more of an art form and a, and a, as a really heavy form of, of self-expression, like it, it, it took hard. Yeah. Yeah. You start fucking hearing some of that Sonny Chirac and you're Sonny like, Oh, Chirac. this isn't, the, this isn't, this isn't the holiday in. Exactly. <laughs> totally. But even then I wasn't like, I still wasn't ready for a lot of shit at that point, you know, but I think it's, it's hard when you're kind of raised and really love pop music sure. too, yep. to have to like break down that barrier. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's probably only been the last, I don't know, seven years that I've really gotten into listening to jazz and like really appreciate it maybe more than other genres now. Cause you understand the level of communication and yep. playing and everything. But yeah, I also totally understand why people don't want to listen to jazz. Right. Right. Yep. I get it. And like, I get why people don't want to play jazz either. Like, I don't know how you make a living just doing that at this point. I don't know how you make a living it seems tough to make a living at playing any kind of music right now, but like, right. Um, and, and there's still stuff that there's still music that now I'm ready for that. I wasn't ready for five years ago that I definitely wasn't ready for 10 years ago that now I give another chance and it's like, Oh shit, this is mind blowing. I just didn't, right? I just didn't get it then, you know? Yeah. It's, it's cool when things come around like that timing wise that's amazing yeah it's beautiful and and the flip side of the playing i totally also understand why jazz like the people that get way into jazz and just become the jazz heads like why they don't want to play some structured pop song sure because like yeah. that's just not exciting to them the way that they enjoy playing absolutely absolutely and so yeah when i when i first got out of school there was a certain amount of kind of pushback against 
um, the type of gigs that I was getting hired to do just because I, all of a sudden I had this, I guess, I guess there was probably a tiny bit of snobbery in my head at that point, you know, um, about pop music. Um, having now discovered this, this complete other art form, I didn't fucking know existed, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, after school, after I got out of music school, I just, I, I went straight into, into working right away. It was really seamless and I got really lucky very early on. What kind of gigs were you getting like right out of school? Right out of school. Um, so my brother had already gotten the gig with Lifehouse. Um, yeah. And I think they were kind of waiting for that record for the first record to come out. But, but the guy that, that hooked my brother up with that gig is a, is a pretty well-known guy in LA in the, in the scene of musicians um, his name's Barry Squire and his job at that point, and there was a, a plethora of like major label bands, major label artists that seemed like everybody was signing record deals and there was money. It was that time. So get, it was that time. And of course, everybody's looking for, for young players. Um, and so my brother, referred me to this Barry Squire guy who just sets up cattle call auditions for major label bands. Major labels get an artist that's ready to go out on tour and they call this guy and they just hold these, these auditions and hire a band that way. Um, and that's how I got my, my God, that's how I got every gig for quite a while was through him. Did you enjoy that stuff that you were getting to do? Even though you were maybe just being kind of that that touring guitar player, yeah, I did. It, I think so. The the first thing that happened. Well, what did I do? I was playing with this guy Daniel Cage, and he was signed to RCA, and we we played some shows. We did a little run. He opened for uh, John Mellencamp, John <laughs> Cougar Mellencamp, John Cougar Mellencamp. The Cougs. Does he still use Cougar? <laughs> He was born in a very small town, I heard. <laughs> I don't have any follow-up jokes to that. That's perfect. But So the Cougs was a cool dude. Uh, uh, so we opened so you're just like immediately thrown in this weird, bizarro world where you're touring, just in, like opening up with John Mellencamp kind of, kind of deal? Right. Yes. And that was a, that was a very short stint. And while I was playing with that guy, which was, you know, gigs were kind of few and far between. There were little, little bundles of dates here and there. But while I was playing with him, I did another audition for that band, The Calling. Yeah. And, um, that was, um, you know, super early 2000s pop rock you know kind of yeah falls right into that category it's in that life house vein and in everything. the life house yeah. vein it's like what was hat it was what was clicking and and what was popular back then and so i i did a barry squire audition for them and got the gig and the the like the the really special part of that 
gig were the other guys in the band. Um, uh, so the bass player that the, when I auditioned for the calling, that's when I met Billy Moeller. Yeah. Um, and the drummer was, uh, this guy, Nate Wood, who, uh, just is an absolute monster, like, uh, one of the very few kind of very literal musical geniuses I know, uh, not in a, in an exaggerated sense. Um, we played on a few songs on the record, um, you know, getting kind of a, a, a low weekly salary to to be there at any time to play gigs around LA, you know, playing the Viper Room and the Roxy and the Whiskey, um, hitting all those spots and, you know, shooting some music videos and what this, and I was, you know, I was living in Venice Beach in an apartment a bachelor, which I didn't know there was anything smaller than a than a studio <laughs> apartment, but there is. It's called a bachelor, and it is a, the tiniest little room with a tiny bedroom. Or, sorry, tiny. It's just one tiny room with a tiny bathroom, a hot plate, and a mini fridge. You know, for like six hundred dollars a month. I had no overhead, and I'm getting you know not much as like a weekly salary. Um, I don't remember what it was, but uh, you know, it was enough to pay rent probably. And, uh, but the great thing was, you know, I had to pay my rent and I had to pay my cell phone bill. And other than that, any other money that came in, I I just bought gear, just guitars and amps and pedals. And, and I, and I don't think that a lot of, a lot of guys get the opportunity when they're that young and I was 19, 20, but to be able to make steady money playing music to not have to get a day job and to be able to like in a professional setting, figure my shit out in, and especially in terms of like sound getting guitar sounds, which I think I got horrible guitar sounds at that point. You know, it, I, I think I, probably sounded like shit for a long time but um you know the the record got finished the record came out and it hit and and we went out on the road and so it was an opportunity to make good money tour and playing every night is like i mean there's there's something to that Uh, being somebody who wasn't gigging in bars as a teenager like it just kind of strengthens you in every way yeah that was like your crash course on playing live is playing these like pretty good venues i would imagine that also when you say touring you're in a pretty good setup because it's big label yeah stuff so you're you're not like in necessarily some shitty van having to sleep on people's couches every single night you know i did not have that experience early on yeah we had a shitty bus at first we had a shitty bus and we had to like, you know, we got skimped on, on hotel rooms and had to sleep in the bus sometimes it, it, when the like singer and other guitar player got hotel rooms and like, so there was, there, there was a little, a tiny bit of slumming it, so to speak, but I didn't care. Like I was 
I wasn't old enough to get into the venues we were playing. So, and <laughs> I was making money and, and uh, yeah, I just, I had no, nothing to do but play and learn. And, and really the, the best and biggest part of that were, were Billy Moeller and Nate Wood that were in the band. You know, we would just show up to soundcheck two hours early and just play, just jam uh, which was amazing because both of those guys were 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 and are on a on a whole other level than me, and and, and like very they both um, had, had studied jazz deeply, like just motherfuckers. Both There's of them. Berkeley cats. Berkeley cats. Nate was a Cal Arts dude, um, and. Uh, it was just great. So we would show up and jam. They would show me music. That was when I I first discovered everything that shaped the rest of my playing. It was when I discovered like that was when like Bill Frizzell became the thing. That was when I discovered Wayne Krantz. That was when I first heard Kurt Rosenwinkel. That was when I first heard Elliot Smith, Jason Faulkner, like Radiohead's Kid A came out right around yeah. that time square pusher fx twin like this was while we were out on tour playing with this pop band i was just like i was eating all this stuff up like it was the first time i had heard you know next level music yeah that i mean mind expanding shit i feel i'm especially when i don't know i feel like i grew up similarly like really loving pop music but still appreciate like preaching appreciating a lot of other shit too like i dug some punk music when i was a kid and dug like i loved metallica right and sure i also liked rap but it wasn't until you know later on in life when you start when you do start hearing some stuff that's like really unconventional you know and digging into some of the radio head records yep. or some like some spiritualized and then finding out about like dinosaur junior right. pavement like the fucking dirty 90s alternative music mm -hmm. that was just all super raw and feels and not super polished in any way none of those guys are great singers by any means but there's there's a feel captured totally which is something i didn't know existed like there wasn't some i don't know maybe there was but i didn't fucking know about some underground like music scene happening in gilbert arizona like yeah <laughs> I, what i don't know i don't think so none of my friends like they all listen to what i listen to like I, I feel like the most there wasn't anything too crazy happening my brother was into kind of the um i don't know like no effects and stuff like that yeah um but yeah it was the first it was the first time i heard I, I feel like real shit for the first time, you know? Yeah. Stuff that was definitely like far out of the box. Yes. So I got a crash course in that, in music listening, in, in playing. Every time we would go to New York, we'd go to the 55 bar, see Wayne Krantz play, see whoever was playing. Um, and it was, it, that was when like my, my true, like, guitar heroes kind of came to be that's when shit really hit me hard yeah 
it seems like you've carried like a really steady balance of like the pop music you love as a kid with the shit that's like far out, you know? Sure. Within your, within your own music, maybe the princess princess seems like maybe the most straight ahead thing I've heard you play on or write. And then, you know, cause I feel like the, the shameful display, you, you kind of flex some of your, uh, your technical guitar playing within some of the, the songwriting, which I really dig. Like, I think that's what I, I took away a lot listening to shameful display for the first time Nice was just like, Oh, this is cool because the song never gets lost, but there are these moments where you're like, yeah, but I'm also like a pretty bitching guitar player too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks. That's awesome. That's really good to, that's really good to hear. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know anybody heard that album, but I'm glad that you got something from it. Yeah, dude. I mean, I came to it late, but um, I've been enjoying listening to it over the last month or two. And also, I just, I like the, I like it sonically. Like, it feels very like just this open room for the most part and just has a lot of raw elements to it. Awesome. Man, that's that's so cool to hear that because that, that album was my first attempt at uh, at kind of do, doing all of this stuff on my own of of um, you know for so long I, I was just a professional sideman just a guitar player and that you know there were different levels of creativity within that there were gigs there was work and then there were bands that I felt like I could kind of stretch and grow and be as crazy and as as dissonant and weird as I wanted to be and then there were there were more straight ahead gigs but I was always a sideman I was always playing somebody else's music um but a shameful display was was the first attempt at like I think of that album as just a giant exercise in like self acceptance for me I was always afraid of writing lyrics, like deathly insecure about writing lyrics. Because um, I, I was, I think I was afraid of how dark they would be. Yeah, dude, you, that, <laughs> I mean, I think that's another thing I was drawn into is that I was like, man, this is a pretty vulnerable, <laughs> right. soul bearing uh, set of tunes here. Right. Like, and I was, yeah, I was into it and just, I, I had no idea what to expect, Sean, cause sure. you were like that. I mean, I think we went to a lot of the shows that we went to, to go watch you play as much as anything in the band. Oh, like wow. when you talked about like guitar tone and shit, that's what we would talk about, you know, just like, how the fuck does it get that tone? Like it's <laughs> insane. And, and I think you, uh, I wasn't really playing guitar at that time, but for, my friend Ryan, like, yeah, I think you really like expanded his mind as far as like guitar tones and like what you could do as a guitar player. Cause it seemed like you brought a lot of unconventional shit to some pop music that you were playing at times. And I feel like with Tommy, maybe in the abandoned pool shit, there was, it seemed like there was a lot of room for, sure. for that stuff to happen. And I would imagine yep. that he was really encouraging of that to happen. But even you know, when you started playing with Lifehouse, Ryan was just like, yeah, dude, this guy changed the live show. Like, oh, this sound, like, yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, um, 
Yeah. That's really cool. The- With that tangent, like I had no idea what to expect from your solo record. Sure. And, you know, like it was just like, is this going to be some John Frusciante, like crazy <laughs> acid, acid rock, like fucking insane psychedelic noise music right. or is, you know, but it ended up being kind of this singer songwriter writer record that, uh, yeah, just seem to like bear a lot of your soul. Yeah, it'll 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 put you to sleep and it'll it'll uh, <laughs> it'll put you in a dark mood. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I was. I was really afraid to write lyrics and I was afraid how dark they would be. And then I was just like, I'm just I'm gonna write and whatever I write, I'm gonna stick with. Like I'm not gonna cause that's what, what stopped me from writing in the first place. Like my form of creativity was guitar playing and guitar sounds and um when i started playing with lifehouse that was the first time they were going out on tour without a keyboard player and so i needed to fill up that space as well as play guitar parts and then again with abandoned pools we were just a trio and so i needed to fill up a lot of space and in abandoned pools there was room to be crazy and weird and and yeah. play the play the things i was more so hearing in my head um and then but that that was how i expressed myself was was guitar sounds guitar playing um and then moved up to seattle you know was in la for 16 16 years or so 15, 16 yeah, how years. Long, how long you been up in Seattle, man? Uh, six years now. Okay. Moved up so, here yeah. with, a, with a, a baby on the way. And then, um, yeah, six years ago. And I kind of kind of hunkered and didn't really know what I was going to be doing. It was kind of a blind move. Um, and I didn't know a lot of people. I knew uh, a guitar player down in L.A. named Tim Young who moved down to LA from Seattle and he was nice enough just to kind of send out a mass email of people he knew and be like, this guy's moving to Seattle. Here's a, an introduction. Um, but, but I didn't know anybody and I didn't know what the scene was. I, I, I definitely wasn't plugging into something that I knew I could find work in. And, and also having like having a baby right after I moved here, like I was, I was pretty isolated and hunkered mostly. Um, and I just decided I was going to start writing and it was the first time I had a dedicated space to write and record in, uh, which is what this dungeon down here is like Seattle. I love that you, I love that you have the Mike Myers mask up dude. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> so good. Seattle basement. That's my other like childhood obsession that, that, uh, continued over to adulthood is halloween um, i fucking love that's my favorite horror movie of it's all the, time it's the best it's the best when i was a kid every halloween i wouldn't go out i would stay home and i would watch halloween and i loved how like on tnt it was just like a, a, a 24 hours of halloween they would just play <laughs> play one through six they would always yeah they would always skip three but um I just saw this really funny meme about uh, it was like a Mike Myers quote and it says like 
motherfuckers always be trying to move fast. And he's just like, <laughs> move at your own pace, Mike Myers. <laughs> That's so good. Um, I could talk about Halloween for hours if you want to go on that tangent. <laughs> we'll make that a bonus episode. <laughs> um, so yeah, like moved to Seattle hunkered and i was just like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna write songs and i'm gonna record songs i have a i finally have a dedicated space a dedicated recording rig um and i'm just gonna do this and i'm not going to self-edit i'm not going to worry about it and that was kind of the process when i would write i wouldn't worry about the lyrics like i had in the past i didn't worry about what they said about me what they said about what was going on in my head. Um, I, I just did it. And even when it came to recording that, I didn't overthink guitar parts like it become my habit working. You know, working, you sort of... Every... Especially, like, I was doing a lot of film session work before I left L.A., and it's a lot of sort of breaking down second by second what is happening, what you're playing. Um, and, and so th- this record for me was, was the opposite. I, I pressed record and I played over the song. And whatever I played must have been the right thing because that's what I played. <laughs> and if, it, if, if there was a better part, then I would have played it. But this is the part because this is what I played. Like, so a lot of those parts and everything were were improvised and that was just I, I just tried to get out of my own way for the fir- for the first time in in my life just get out of my own way yeah yeah that's what I, I, I would imagine doing it that way is is the the way to get out of your own way is yeah. just letting it happen and like you're saying if if there was a better solo I would have played I a better played solo. It, yeah and I wasn't gonna sit there and do 20 different solos until my hands hurt and like it, it was I, I had being in LA and doing gigs I had had spurts of embracing my sound and I think I did start to develop a sound through the Lifehouse days abandoned pools um, I, I started to figure some shit out and I, and I started to, um, for better or worse. And, and oftentimes when you, when I was playing on other people's music for worse, but that I had a voice of my own and sometimes it would work for people and sometimes it wouldn't. Um, and I just wanted to just further go down that rabbit hole. Well, I think this would be as good a time as any to, to jump into a song off a shameful display, if that's cool with you. I was going to play that, that opening track, Built to Break. Shit, yeah. Do it. Cool. This is it. This is, uh, this is Built to Break off the shameful display record. When the clock ticks way too bright And you hide under your hood Motivation hits you right It's not as if you could There's people laughing by your side The 
sound degrades your soul The pendulum swings far and wide Losing self-control
so what was it like getting to tour the world, man, with your brother? It was good. It was great. It, it, it definitely wasn't without tension at times, but, uh, and that, that was the first kind of big lesson in like band dynamics, band slash family dynamics and how that all works. Um, but, but I felt really good during that time. Like I felt good about my playing. I felt like I had like dialed in my guitar tones pretty well. I felt like I was bringing something fairly cool at that time to that setting. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but, uh, but it was fun. I, I, and, and touring the world at that time was especially fun in that, like when, when, when we'd go to Europe, when we'd go overseas anywhere, I didn't, my cell phone didn't work. I didn't have a laptop. I didn't have email. I couldn't talk to anybody. So it was a clean break from reality where I could just go and um, days off would just like walk the streets of wherever, wherever I was. Um, and, uh, and I feel like I, I made up for some of the time that I, that I didn't take advantage of that touring in the calling. I feel like touring in the calling, I was younger. I was in my own head a lot, just cripplingly insecure. I would just hole myself up in my hotel room and watch TV and practice guitar and, uh, listen to music. And then, but then with Lifehouse, it was, uh, I, I, I feel like I capitalized on, on getting to see the world and, um, and the other huge thing was just like guitar shops, just every city guitar shop and like vintage guitars and amps and pedals. Everything was still affordable at that point for a, for a player. Yeah. Um, like I can't afford shit now. Like, so you're just like always going home from tour with more gear, more gear. There's always like the bus, uh, just adding guitars and amps to the bus. It's always somebody's, you know, the crew guy is pissed that the, this extra guitar techs love you. Right. Dude, like you <laughs> don't like, need you got another guitar. Cool, man. You have seven guitars out with you. You don't need another. We don't have room for it. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm like, I don't know. So just buying, <laughs> buying gear and like, yeah, like that was when I discovered all my favorite guitar sounds, like, and I and I got it all for cheap, like my SG, this the '64 SG Special, I got for nine hundred dollars in Cincinnati, um, like, and that became a, a guitar for me that, like, still to this day, when I plug it in, it's hard to find something that beats it, um. So touring at that point was so fun. Get like buying gear, like guitar shops in Japan were, were insanely good. They always had the best shit. Also like vintage clothing stores in Japan were the other big thing. It was like, we'd go to go to guitar shops and go to vintage clothing stores. Um, uh, but it wasn't without its tension touring with my brother. I think we, we, most of the time we got along. For um, sure. But there, there was definitely, I think there was, I don't know, 
always some I, tinges of resentment there. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that tension is real, but also, like, how fucking cool that, you know, you you grow up playing music, seeing your brother, like, really playing music while you're a kid, and, you know, 10 years later or so, you're in another country playing on some of the biggest stages, yep. like, in the kind of in the industry at that time, like, Lifehouse was really banging for a yeah. few years there. Jason was was cranking out the the tunes that people wanted to hear heavy. He, he is a unbelievably prolific songwriter. Like it it what just one of those guys that it it seems to pour out of him. And yeah, at that time they were big. Um you know, I like I still just didn't have any overhead. I was still in an apartment in Venice living with 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 Billy Moeller at that point and like again, phone bill, rent and then gear. And <laughs> uh and that time was like that was the first time my brother and I played like we're in a band together was like touring the world band. Yeah. You know, we had never had a band together or had to navigate the dynamic of that until we were doing it uh, on on a large stage. And there were some good times of that too, like those European festivals of just a, a sea of people and pink pop and pink shit. pop and it was awesome. Yeah, there were some great yeah. great moments. I think I feel like it was invaluable in terms of like um just figuring myself out as a player. Yeah. I think you also got to play. I mean, as a, you know, my personal preference, I think you got to play with Lifehouse during my favorite era of it. Oh, like, nice. Yeah. I sure. think those first two records, No Name Face and Stanley Kleinfall, especially Stanley Kleinfall, I thought it had a lot of cool character for being, a, you know, a pop record. There was yep. some stuff that was not always so straight ahead and there was some like really interesting things happening with the music at that time sure. and i don't know i don't i don't ride or die for the entire lifehouse catalog but sure. i still think that those are like two really great records yeah um did you pick up a lot from kind of getting to be around jason and seeing his process as a songwriter i did i did and i i saw how natural it was for him he also um we there was there was a period when we were on tour where like we would just get to the hotel and him and I would would meet up in one of our rooms and we would write some songs together and i don't know whatever happened to those songs but um but, but it it was cool to see that and i still was was nowhere near capable of of capable or co- i mean i was probably capable but i, I wasn't confident enough to um do that all on my own. But I, I did write some songs with him and kind of saw his, his process, which was really cool, which I don't, which I don't think applies to everyone given how natural it is for him. Um, but that like the, the Stanley Kleinfall record was really fun to tour on because again, we were just a four piece and I had to cover so, so much ground you know, there were a lot of guitars on those recordings. They started, there, there was kind of more spacey, ambient shit going on. Yeah. That I, that I would, it was, and it was fun to have to figure out how to cover all of that. 
And I think that that was really like a good thing for me to have to do. What was uh, what was your experience playing with Tommy in Abandoned Pools and the the wonderful Brian Head? Who, Brian uh, Head, who, dude, I fucking love Brian. Uh, we had a weird thing happen. Um, we had a band around that time, and we're big fans of Abandoned Pools. And we went into the studio to make our record. And at the time, we didn't have a drummer. Like we just had a couple people that were filling in here and there, and the engineer who worked on our record was like, Hey, I, I know a handful of, uh, session musicians. So here's some that I think would be cool. And right. one of them was Brian. And we we're just like, wait, we could have Brian like play on our album. We we're already big fans of abandoned pool. So it was just like this weird thing where we had Brian come in and we went and we had a rehearsal with them. And then he played on our record. Oh, that's and amazing. He played a show with us at the Roxy and like it was it was so cool. And then we ended up uh, the other connection to that is we ended up having Tommy mix mix our record. Oh, cool. And so kind of got to know him and Brian a little bit. You, and, got, you uh, got to send me this album. How, how do I not know this? Uh, I don't know. It was, you know, it was a long time ago, Sean. It was, it was <laughs> over 10 years ago now. And, you know, it was just it flew under the radar. It was like sure. our first attempt at making some big record and we had some you know we somehow fell into these connections of this band that we that's really amazing liked or at least a couple of us were super into at the time and it was just yeah it's like this weird thing of like oh these people are going to participate in making this record with us but um yeah that was all around i guess maybe the time you were you were playing with them or on the on the way outs of that yeah maybe, it, even it, it, it was like 2009 Okay. that we're talking about that the record came out so yeah within like 2007 2009 this is kind of happening and yeah and then you were you were playing with the band which was really cool that changed the lineup a little bit obviously like sure. we were talking about Tommy jumping on bass but yep and you got to you got to be a part of the arm to the teeth record as far as yep recording that i i played on the the entire arm to the teeth record um that shit's so good. I listened to it last week, dude. Those really? abandoned pools awesome. albums, those things. Yeah, I think those hold up really well. Tommy, Tommy I've, posted about it uh, a little while ago that it was like the the 15 year anniversary or whatever of, yeah, of Arm dude. to the Teeth, and uh, yeah, that made me revisit that. And I I love some of those songs. It's so like yeah, man, it's great. Those first two records, I think abandoned pools is super slept on. But that, that was a super fun band. Like I, again, like not without its tensions and, and had, a, had some strong personalities. I was not one of them at that point. Like I was just at, happy to be in a band where I could, uh, do, do weird shit where I could just, just play. Make uh, a lot of noise. Make a lot of noise. <laughs> tons of like fuzz factory feedback happening and ambience and uh I I I felt like I was I, I had that kind of dialed at that point, the kind of art rock uh dissonant noise playing, but also musical, I think, to a certain extent. Um but it was fun and Tommy's amazing, a uh uh you know juggernaut like he's super creative and talented and like um for being like a rock singer songwriter bass player like he plays french horn and 
you know, studied studied at USC and like just a, a super, super talented guy. And Brian's amazing. And and that was that was my first look at like van touring mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, like we were we were slumming it a little bit. Um but it was super fun because it was just the three of us. And uh, I don't know how many tours we did. We did a couple little tours. We went out. We opened for a perfect circle and uh, like just in a van. And that was fun, I think. Was that fun? I think it was fun. <laughs> it was maybe fun. maybe fun. It was maybe fun for like the first couple yeah. nights and then you realize what well, was yeah, to come for the rest of it right exactly uh um, like oh this is every night for the next three yeah weeks. there were some weird Ugh. weird vibes there but um but overall it, it was good and we got along at that point you know there was some tension when the record came out and when when we were signing a record deal that was the that was my first time of like oh we're all gonna sign on to this record deal like this is a band band um yeah. you know splitting up a, a small advance and um that was my first go at that and it wasn't without its hang-ups but like uh you know they're both good like really good guys and 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 a a super fun fun time it was a fun hang back then for sure i would imagine that's really hard for it not to get complicated even when it is the best of people yep absolutely absolutely the music Music business is strange. It's really weird. Even in the early days, I got it definitely got fucked around with a lot. You know. Yeah, you seem to be. I don't know. You seem to hang around this this very cool circle though of of musicians and songwriters. Like we also. I'm so thankful that I got to see one Radford show. Nice. Yes. And you were playing with that. And did Billy play in? Radford too, or I don't know. Bill- I feel like there was just some of those shows where where one of you would be playing and one of you would be in the audience, and everybody <laughs> right. was like always very personable. Sure. Like when we went to say hello, and I remember like this dude Greg Saran was there one night. Totally, and he, and he was such a nice dude. Like we also liked the Goo Goo Dolls at that Bre- time. Wait, and was he was Greg, playing with was, them. Was Greg playing those gigs, or was he just hanging? Greg was just he was just there for some Radford gig at the Roxy. That's awesome. And we were just hanging out with him after, and we we're just like, he's like, yeah, I'm I'm in I'm playing with the Goo Goo Dolls, and we're just like, that's really dope. We're we like them a lot, and he's just like, I'll put you on the guest list for next week's show, and he's just like wow, this is like really cool. We just like came to this show and everybody's very nice and like, yeah, just some, some really fucking good players. But that sleepwalk, that sleepwalker record, man, from, from Radford was, uh, that was another record that just kind of had a big impact on like what we were doing at that time or just music that we really fucking liked and kind of felt like we were tapped into this, I don't know, somewhat underground alternative rock scene like sure. the stuff that wasn't quite making it to the mainstream top 40 but just like some really fucking good songwriting and really great production totally i i revisited that record just a couple weeks ago and i still like i talked to johnny almost every day and um i was like dude you're a really fucking good songwriter like this is these songs yeah, are dude like, they're so good um but that was a, that was one of those situations, and that was another just random cattle call Barry Squire audition. And uh, 
the day I auditioned, I met uh, Saul, the bass player, um, and uh, like he, um, like later played with with Morrissey for years, and now he's been uh, playing with Brian Adams for years, um, and, and and Johnny is like one of my best friends. Will be a a lifelong friend. That situation was was really funny and good, and ju- just great people all around. Nothing ever really like came of it. Like it didn't. The record didn't come out and hit like like other bands I had been in. But it was just one of the best situations personally, and it it, it was fun because I auditioned. We got hired. They put the band together. And we just got put on like retainer to rehearse, but it seemed to kind of go on forever. And it, it was like, what, what are we rehearsing for? And it was a really good <laughs> band. It was a bit like really pro band. And so within like the first two days of rehearsing, we were like, yeah, like this is dialed. I think we're good to go. And, and that turned into like months of like, we're still on retainer just to rehearse. So we would eventually just like, we'd show up to the rehearsal space and he'd be like, you guys want to like, should we go get lunch? Let's just go, let's just go eat. And that turned into like, I got a bucket of balls. You guys want to go take batting practice? There's a baseball field (laughs) out here. And so like three or four days a week, we were out like taking batting practice in, in North Hollywood on like a softball field. We'd throw each other batting practice. We'd, we played a ton of tennis. We rehearsed a fair bit. (laughs) We did some playing, um, but that was just a super fun time. Like made like lifelong friends in that band. Yeah, for sure. Imagine that's also you know just learning that the hang is just as important as yep. the creative process when you are trying to form something that is going to have any longevity. Totally, totally. And any any one of those is like joining you know joining a band and any one of them is like a a good exercise in like you got to go through and and get your sounds together have your rig together have your guitars together you know it's just like another lesson in being being professional to to a certain extent and i remember that situation was just really good and really relaxed and i remember that being the first time where like where I was like, oh, I'll learn a song on the drive to rehearsal today. Like we're gonna we're gonna play this new song today. I'm not gonna listen to it. I'm just gonna try to learn it in the car on the way, you know, kind of thing. So I could kind of challenge myself and get my ears better, even though it's even though it's pop music and it's 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 all pretty formulaic, but like figuring out guitar parts in your head, how I'm gonna how I'm gonna finger them on the guitar in my head. And uh, it was good. It was just a productive time, just getting to be a better player, getting sounds dialed. Eventually, Greg Saran came and played some gigs with us, which was really fun because um, he was he's a motherfucker and just really very pro-dialed guitar player, and that was really fun, getting to know him, getting to play with him. Um and and Johnny Johnny and Saul just lifelong 
friends, buddies. I still talk to Johnny almost every day. We worked on this Princess Princess album together. Yeah, is that the first time you guys wrote any music since the Radford days? I th- together, I th- you know, th- there was actually a lot after, like post Radford, after the band, Johnny would uh, hire me to 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 play on stuff. Like he was working as a professional songwriter, as a producer, so he was writing for other people and producing other people's uh, stuff. So I would just do session work for him and play on albums that he was producing. If he would have a songwriting session and they would need to produce it, I would go in and play guitar on it. Um, and that was a, a like a, a really good, comfortable environment with people I knew, but yet in, in, in this, the setting of a studio, which can be, you know, a whole different ball game, um, more pressure, a little bit more of a scientific environment. So, so getting to do sessions with him and kind of figure out studio sounds and, and, and being a bit of a session guitar player in a comfortable setting was really good. So I worked with him a lot on, on, on other things, um, uh, on new music of his, uh, music he wrote for other people. And he always had a studio in LA set up that, that, that was always really dialed and uh so that 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 was a good time and that's when i started getting hired for more and more session work doing studio work for people what kind of sparked uh starting the princess princess deal with with johnny i i had i had just gotten done with the kind of long process of finishing a shameful display putting it out the sort of ups and downs of, of caring about something and having, <laughs> having nobody else really give a shit, you know, and like yeah. that whole, that whole thing. Be, yeah. Being a creative person is, uh, yeah, I, I learned the, the heartbreak of it all. And just in the, in the process of making it like, um, uh, wanting to sort of embrace like, Oh, I just want to write some pop songs. Like, I don't, I don't want to think about it too much. I don't want to check myself and try to make something more clever than it needs to be. Because I feel like I always had a tendency to, if there was a, a like a straight ahead section, there was a very poppy verse, then, then the chorus would need to be kind of angular and weird. Because th- th- there needed to be like that dichotomy. And um, when I started writing songs for the, for the Princess Princess thing, I was just like, oh, just, I'm just going to, you know, just say fuck it and write write just something that feels good um you know getting those feelings that i that i get when i listen to like you know phil collins or something like it, yeah man you start leaning into these fucking big drums and the fucking 80 cents lean and, uh, in yeah yeah I, I i love this princess princess shit man. awesome I'm, i've i've been it's been heavy in the rotation that's it's amazing like one of those things too where i'll just kind of I'll just let it keep playing like when it's over. I think that's the the nice thing about having the bookends like you have, you know, the beginning track totally. is this inter- this introduction track, this instrumental and like really creates the world that this project's going to live in and then you do kind of the same, you give it that bookend with the the ending track. That's awesome. So it that's all cool. it all just kind of becomes a blur if you just like leave it on the uh you know, the repeat. Right. 
those 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 last in the first track just become a blur and then all of a sudden you're you're into float again right and uh yeah it was cool man i i i I dig your vocal delivery and it's cool to get to see it kind of like on shameful display and then see it in this completely different world with the princess princess stuff sure yeah well thank you i can feel it get get uh i feel like I, i started to figure out my my studio setup a little bit better i feel like i i i started hearing things a little bit more accurately in here got my room a little more dialed figured out which mic worked with my voice better figured out and and johnny was a big part of figuring out like a vocal sound for that not just not just me singing like the shameful display thing but actually uh, coming up with with kind of a signature vocal sound um and uh yeah i remember i i first sent uh it was float and so far that i sent to johnny because i was like man these are really poppy and and i like them i think i it's always hard to tell you know whether something's good or not but like when i i finish it and then i listen to it and it's like is this good i think this is good like I, i think i feel this like so i sent it to johnny because johnny has you know he just has a pop sensibility that it's just in his wheelhouse and uh i i don't know that i expected him to like the songs or be interested in them at all given that he's you know an accomplished professional songwriter and artist uh still having some of that insecurity too oh, of sending completely. music to your friends where you just like respect the fuck out of them as songwriters and yep. you're like Ugh, i don't know if, if this is gonna you know meet the bar because he yeah i mean he very well and i think he would have been like oh no dude this is horrible this is <laughs> this is shit <laughs> that's my impression of johnny but uh that's, that's great. but he he dug him he was just like dude i want to like like let me let me start building a track for these because i i wrote them just on on it was just guitar and vocals um and yeah. so the the first two tunes kind of went that way and then we we would collaborate a little bit more on others i would kind of send a guitar idea that he would manipulate he would send me back a a, a a synth bed to sing on and i would write lyrics and melodies and stuff and that was really fun and i love like i love coming up with hooks I love coming up with harmony parts. Like that stuff is just, it's so fun. I, I just find yeah. it so fun. Like it's that entire project working on that album was, there was in terms of creating the music, there was never second guessing. There was never, we never sent anything to the other person that we didn't like and just go with. That Dark Days track is one where, you know, we talked about people developing a signature tone, and I feel like Dark Days is where where that Johnny Radford <laughs> totally tone like really yep. comes through in some of those parts where I'm, I'm just like, oh, this is this is so cool to hear this on on this record. Face and 
can hear that that Johnny character totally in the production for sure. I think you're right, especially that song. Yeah, that that feel that does feel very Johnny. Yeah, I love that jam a lot, for sure. It was uh, when just kind of picking picking tunes to to feature throughout the episode. It was it was hard to pick, Sean. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of ba- there's like some bangers on this record. Oh, that's you know? good. That's great. That's what I want to hear. Bangers. That it's hard you, uh, to pick. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Uh, I know you at the when we first jumped on the mics, you were talking about kind of getting heavy into some of this, you know, these Phil Collins records from the eighties and whatnot. Hells yeah. Like you just uh really digging those sounds right now? I, I am digging those sounds. And and I yeah, I don't know. I love new pop music. And, like it's what I listen to, and I have two little kids and like I can't listen to anything with them that isn't pop music mostly like especially if there's no singing on it they don't want to hear it usually if it's a guy singing on it they don't want to hear it at all (laughs) they just want to they want to hear like just i oh man i know way too much kids music and i have it all memorized i feel like it's gonna like inform my music in a a horrible way soon (laughs) Well, so far it's it seems to not you know be you know destroying it. No, in it's any good. Way. It's good, and it's it's been really cool to write music and have my kids latch onto it, sing along to it. Especially, you know, kind of embracing the the pop song process a little bit more, and yeah. and, ha- and having melodies and motifs that they can really latch onto. And my six year old, especially like the first time you sing it, she gets it and can like, you can see her brain latch on to hooks like that. And it's, it's really great. makes me want to do it more, you know? I mean, that's the fun thing about the record for sure is that usually by, you know, the second half of the first chorus, you can kind of sing along with the melody right 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 sure and that's a that's a cool thing about pop music yeah. you know mm-hmm. just this infectious thing that makes you want to sing along right and for me when i was a kid you know the things that i liked about about those albums that i was into the things that i liked listening to phil collins listening to any pop music it wasn't necessarily like um the the, the clever structure of a song it was these tiny snippets some chord change, some melody or some harmony with that melody that made you feel the tiniest thing. Yeah. You know? Those little tiny moments that you look forward to in each song where the fucking drums drop out at that one moment right. and the guitar rips back in. Yeah. Yep. Like those Absolutely, those are my yeah. favorite moments of, of, of songs. And so I feel like we, we tried to do we tried to do that a little bit with Princess Princess, I think. Do you feel like it's easier too for you to lean into that whole pop world because you're also still getting to flex like some of the shit you like playing like the jazz shit like maybe you know making the Jimmy Chamberlain complex music completely completely especially since moving to Seattle all the people I know here are jazz musicians so the the gigs I've been getting since I've been up here are mostly jazz gigs which isn't something I did in LA it's um, it's something I've always been interested in it's what I practice when I sit down to practice 
Um, but it has never been what I did professionally. And so moving up here, getting to do that, getting to be creative, getting to improvise all the time, like completely makes me more able and capable of just like diving into creating pop music. Then I can really embrace that because I have an outlet. When I was in LA and I was doing pop gigs, I didn't have an outlet. So I kind of resented doing pop gigs, you know? Yeah. I got, I watched uh, one of the performances from the Naomi Moon Seagull. Oh, cool. Yeah. That was rad. Na- uh, uh, I watched some of the Earshot performance. Oh, cool. Yeah. Naomi's. That was like a five piece band. Nice. It was, a, it was a very cool performance. She's great. She was, she's one of the, one of the few people since I moved to Seattle that just kind of immediately uh, embraced me was like, like let's let's make music together which was really good because i feel like the the seattle scene has been a a little bit insular so far for me but i I didn't i you know having a a a baby right after moving here it's not as if i was networking or hustling or, or, or trying to get gigs at all you know yeah, and this year certainly hasn't been a great year for right. trying to do that sort of thing either. Yep, I'm just, I'm hunkered in the basement practicing and writing most of the time, you know? I got to see um, one of those uh, performances, I think maybe at the Knitting Factory of the Jim, the when the first Jimmy Chamberlain Complex record came out. The knitting Factory in LA, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember that gig with uh, that was, Adam. That was Adam Benjamin cool, was man. on keys, right? Um, I don't know who any of the other players were. Right. Was Billy playing at that time? Yep, Billy was playing with you guys. Billy yeah. was playing bass. So, yep. I remember that being like a very, a very cool show. That was one of those like mind expanding shows for me because oh, I was nice. not like, I was not like really into like fusion music right. by any means. Right. It was just like cool we know sean is playing on this gig and it's fucking jimmy chamberlain from the smashing pumpkins like we're gonna go to this and see what it's about (laughs) and it was just like wow this is uh the very next level that was fun that was fun that was like billy i i yeah billy's been uh responsible for bringing me into so many cool gigs and that that was one of them yeah, what what's it like fucking playing with Jimmy Chamberlain? That dude is a freak on the drums. Yeah, dude. it's crazy. He is a force. He is a force. And a total like just an example of uh which is something I strive to be and really look for in other players is just like unapologetically no matter what he is playing, he sounds like himself. His sound his hands, his drums, yeah. it sounds like him the second you hear him, you know? Yeah, man. And those are my favorite guitar players, bass players, any musician I hear, those are the people I, I gravitate towards the most. For sure. Yeah, whether it's the like his Jimmy Chamberlain Complex record or a Smashing Pumpkins right. record, you, can, you know that that's him. That's like, him, yep. Fucking laying into those toms and those, those certain, you know... The way he's got them tuned up. And it's funny, it's, like, it's funny to play with him in like a, you know, like we did a couple nights at, at a little jazz club in Chicago after the most recent record or like at the Blue Whale in LA. It's funny to play with him at, you know, s- tiny little jazz clubs 
that that uh, his playing is a big force for for a little jazz club, you know. <laughs> I bet, dude. <laughs> but he loves that it. Some some nice little dinner jazz club, and yep, people you got Jimmy people Chamberlain sitting. with his massive set. Yep, people are eating dinner, <laughs> like and Chambo's just like going off. Billy's like playing noise bass, you know. <laughs> yeah, On, the Honor record, the most recent one is really great nice i dig it a lot that's awesome it's such a cool i was telling somebody this the other day that it's just like a really cool balance i feel like of the jazz fusion stuff but you can hear some of those like 90s alternative vibes that sneak into the the, some of those breaks as well yeah i think it's like a really cool take on that genre for sure that i feel i i really like that collection of songs and I, i like how they came about we I, f- I flew down to it was after I moved up to Seattle and I flew back down to LA I just f- flew with my SG I didn't take any pedals um, or an amp and I just played through Billy's rig at his studio he had a little backhouse studio and um, we just we just played we didn't have nobody had anything written uh, we just played we would improvise for a while we'd go in we'd listen whoa, that's a cool section. Let's do something with that. Oh, that's a cool section. Maybe if we put them together and then we'd go in and we just, and we'd knock it out live as a trio. Um, and then there was, you know, some, some keyboard and, and, uh, sax and trumpet overdubs. Yeah, dude. Also a jazz record. That's like less than 30 minutes. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Is it? Is it less than 30 minutes? I think it, I think it comes in like just under 30 or just over 30. It's, it's like... Solid. It's like, yeah, whoa. In and out. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, man. It's cool that you're still doing the thing. You're still... Doing you're still the playing thing. the tunes and seems like you're kind of getting your fix of, <laughs> of all the things that, you know, that you dig. You still got the, the pop music. You still got the the experimental shit going on still co- collaborating yeah. with a lot of your your longtime friends now I, i'm i'm working on it i'm trying to uh i'm trying to figure out how it all fits together into into a solid uh living up here in seattle you know la was different there was there was work available when you when you needed it and if you didn't you could you could pass but like and uh yeah Seattle's a different scene altogether so I'm I'm trying to figure out how it all fits together cuz I don't want to I don't want to stop making my own music I think I've discovered that that that's just now something I yeah. do and I and I'm not going to stop do I can't go back now like I have to do that um but yeah I don't know still working on it <laughs> As far as like the new tunes that you sent me, um, like this satellite jam that I think I'm going to play the episode out with, is this stuff that you think nice. you're going to put out under your, your name or more princess princess stuff? No, I think I'm going to put it out under my name. Um, and I think it's, I think satellite should come out. I don't know, December or January on, uh, on Billy's Billy has a label called make records, which is what the Jimmy Chamberlain complex, um, the last two Chamberlain Complex albums came out on. And uh, so I think they're going to put out Satellite sometime in the next cool, few man. months. 
right on. Yeah. Um, Are you going to play if Satellite? That's cool, if we can do a little, a little nice. uh, you know, a sneak premiere of a jam that's not going to come out for a month or so, that'd be cool. Do Hopefully it. Billy doesn't sue me, you know? <laughs> Man, fuck, fuck that guy. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm curious if there's anything that, that just kind of sticks out to you over you know this this journey that you've had of making your your life of of music um just overall um big takeaways from this experience ah man i know that i know that's a big broad question to to kind of ask but uh i just i really i i think i am I am at the point to where no matter what, I have to do this. And I've never, you know, since I was 18, I haven't had to get a, to get a day job yet, but, (laughs) um, you know, Seattle's a whole different beast than LA. Um, but, um, but I have to do this. You know, I think like no matter what, like if I if, even if I'm going to be like the uh, starving artist, then I got to do that, too, you know. Um, and I don't know. I don't know, man. I just love guitar. Honestly, <laughs> since I was a kid, I just love guitar. I love every part of it. I love the gear, the sounds, uh, like the feel like it's all just. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. I'll never get away. From is there anybody in particular right now, the guitar player wise, that that has just been your shit lately? Yeah, I've been super digging this guy, Mike Moreno, uh, who's a New York um, straight ahead guy mostly, and uh, man, just a motherfucker, insane, like next level shit. Um, I really like his playing. I've been diving back into, um, like, you know, the greatest LA session player of all time, Michael Landau, who I went through a huge phase when I was in music school, discovered his solo albums. I would go to the baked potato and see him play. And still that guy is the pinnacle of tone. It just like, it doesn't get any better. Um, but then, like, you know, I listen to a ton of Ry Cooter. I love Ry Cooter. Like, I feel like him and him and Landau, John Leventhal, um, producer, guitar player, uh, he's married to Roseanne Cash, but, like, best-sounding hands on the planet. Um, yeah, Bill Frizzell. Yeah. Kurt Rosenwinkel, the dudes. I mean, and outside... Outside of that, it seems like you've uh, you've managed to surround yourself with some pretty amazing musicians and songwriters that that are your friends. I would imagine that has just as much influence as any of these these other people. Yeah, I think it's been really good. I mean, at any, at any given point in time, I can I can fall back on and on any of them as being my idol. You know, like. Uh, like all the way back to when I was 19 and joined the calling uh, Billy Muller and Nate Wood uh, still two of the best musicians I've ever seen in my life and will ever see you know like 
um, I can I can always fall back on them as being you know musical heroes, but it's nice to kind of still be friends, you know. For sure, man. Well, I feel super fortunate to have had the opportunity to to hang with you for a bit, and uh, hopefully, I didn't uh, you know fanboy on you too hard as far as you Not know at all all this all bringing up all these these old experiences and whatnot. But I just. Uh, I don't know, man. My 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 path in in music has taken a kind of a different route, you know. Like I'm I'm kind of more on the the media side of things, I suppose, you know. Sure, and, sure. But uh, I don't know. It's just an interesting piece of the of of the puzzle to like get to talk to you now after showing up to like so many of those shows with bands you were playing in. Is is yeah, just a, yeah. I thought it was a a cool opportunity to kind of actually get to sit down and have a conversation with you. And yeah, uh, it's amazing. Thank you. And this isn't, this is a side of things that I'm, I'm not good at past, past the creation of music. I have zero ability or interest in the next steps of getting people to hear it. You know, like I'm, I'm just purely illiterate Yeah. after it, after it comes to, just making it i get done making it and i'm like oh that's fun it's done now i'll I'll move on to the next thing but uh i I forget the step of 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 people needing to hear it and and for maybe to make a living off of it (laughs) (laughs) well i'm uh i i would really encourage people to definitely check out your solo record that's out shameful display and uh definitely the princess princess stuff like i said that's been heavy in my rotation and i think that that that's some some good straight ahead music that that's got like some great pop sensibilities but a lot of cool character to it and you know like the phil collins he's my jam and this shit <laughs> like when i listen to it it gives me those same like very similar feelings of listening to some of those those phil records for sure that's awesome man and uh yeah this is super rad to to get to hang with you and uh, chat with you about all this stuff. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, like I said, your, uh, your playing and your songwriting has uh, been something that has uh, stuck with myself. And I know my buddy Ryan for a long time and it's just always like a really cool experience to get. Uh, I feel like to get to see a lot of those bands in really small rooms, like to get to see an abandoned yeah, pools yeah. in a, in a Viper room or a Roxy or, you know, Radford in those settings and stuff was always, uh, pretty special. You know, those rooms are super intimate. I'm up in Portland now and I have been for like the last eight years. So I'm not too, too far down the road from you. And we have some amazing music venues up here that I think are some of the best in the country, but like, I don't know. There's nothing like the Roxy and and the Troubadour still and Mm -hmm. and even the Viper room, that tiny little room. Uh, Yeah. There's some special nights there for sure. Yeah. For me too. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. That, that it, it all means a lot that, um, I don't know. Well, just that you care, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that I do. And I'll put all the links in the, uh, the episode notes so people can, can keep up with you and and check out these records that you've put out. And I'll put some links to some of the, uh, the other people that we mentioned in the conversation. And we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is it's a, it's a program. (laughs) <laughs> so if we could get the the Sean 
Wollston Hume. Is that the is that a good enunciation? Wollston Hume. Hume. Hume Hume misses the L. Wollston Hume. 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 You know, and now that I hear both ways, I think I like your way better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do my best to enunciate properly, but if we can get your uh, it's a program, we can properly sail this thing out, man. It's a program. He nailed it, everybody. Uh, I'll put all <laughs> links in the episode notes. We're going to play it out with this unreleased track called Satellite, which will uh, hopefully be on the streaming services in the ne- next month or so. So look out for that. Give Sean a follow and the Princess Princess page as well. And uh, that is the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland. Cool, man. Awesome. Thanks so much, dude. That was super fun. Dude, that's amazing. I wake up to the sound of an enemy. She says, don't lose control. So I sit and I think about how to breathe. Grip my teeth to soothe my soul. If I walked in a room, would you notice me? Would I blend into the fold? You held on once you knew I wasn't pristine Now the lights are out and it's cold I'm heading into battle, but my head is in the satellite oh, I felt the rush To sit with my hands tied, wishing that I hadn't died oh, It was just a crush There's a sour and a suck to the air we breathe It's the fear of being alone So we hold on tight and we squirm and seethe Never really be in Rome Yeah, I'm